0: Exodus chapter 19, Exodus 19. We're going to jump down to the middle of this passage starting in verse 16. But this is the story of God speaking to Moses or to the Israelites through Moses on Mount Sinai. What comes after this section of scripture is the Ten Commandments. And so they have been going through the wilderness, freed from slavery in Egypt. They have spent some time now in the wilderness. They have arrived at Mount Sinai, and God shows up to give them the next steps through His presence, through voice. Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, thunder warred and lightning flashed. And a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so we're going to jump right back to this in a minute. But before we jump back into this, I have the world's best media inclusion for you this morning. I am so excited, all right? I'm excited for God's Word, but this media helps us get into God's Word, and just the two intersecting just makes me a happy camper this morning. One of the most popular shows uh, to be streamed in recent memory is a Netflix original series, Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah, see? Which follows a group, how many people are familiar with Stranger Things? Yeah, well, maybe half of us, okay. So if you're not, it's like a, uh, it's a a riff off of the 80s, and so if you remember the 80s, uh, you, you, and Goonies, and Goonies, Goonies yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, says someone who didn't live through the 80s. So if you didn't live through the 80s and you need a reference point, Goonies, that's great. That's, thank, thank you, Caleb. Okay. So it follows a young group of friends in the 80s, uh, growing up together and solving literally the world's problems in their little town of God-ordained Hawkins, Indiana. Um, not because it's Hawkins, that's a fictional town, fictional town, it's ordained because it's in Indiana. In one, <laughs> I got you, Ty, Ty, I see you, buddy. In one of the latest episodes, we uh, l- l- released just this summer, we see fan favorite, Dusty, anybody love Dusty in here? Yeah, no, okay, one person. Return, <laughs> we see Dusty, who has been away at summer camp, he returns back to Hawkins, but he returns back with a new tool in his arsenal, a high powered radio communication system um, with the intent to be able to connect over the interwebs with his girlfriend back in Utah, okay? Now, this is a big deal in the 80s, all right? So, through intense effort, a little bit of static, some unfortunate uh, interruption, Dusty's homemade signal is received by his camp girlfriend, Susie. But the connection is not without tension, and I've got to share this with you, otherwise the clip won't make any sense, okay? And uh, trust me, I, I went over this, I've, I've reviewed this a bunch of times, there, there, there's no major spoilers in here, so if you're all bent up out of shape because I'm previewing something that you hadn't seen yet, ask the Lord to forgive me, okay? It's not without tension because the connection between Dusty and Susie, between Hawkins, Indiana, and Provo, Utah, or wherever she's at. It comes right at a suspenseful moment where his friends have uncovered, get this, a covert underground mission ran by the Russians, it's the 80s, beneath newly built Starcourt Mall. It's the 80s. Okay, Dusty's friends have been uh, discovered by the Russians and they are running, fleeing uh, from the counterattack and also should mention an alien monster that they believe the Russians have somehow released in order to kill them. Okay, uh, That's what's going on in this scene. Dusty knows that his girlfriend in Utah can help him and his friends make a critical discovery that will save their lives, and get this, will also save the lives of all of humankind. Everything rests on Dusty and Susie. They're like 14 years old. Okay, (laughs) Everything rests on them. And uh, what Dusty doesn't realize is Susie has been waiting by her telecommunications system for an entire week for Dusty to come through. And uh, the culmination of these events gives us this lovely delight in TV. Is that not awesome? (laughs) So, wait for it. The greatest connection of all time is awaiting you. In our current sermon series, we have been discussing the ways we notice God. Some of us, I believe some of us in this room probably have very well-formed stories and long journeys in daily relationship with God, while others of us in here are maybe just figuring it out or just beginning and maybe even a bit skeptical, yet I think that this is true. Each one of us all have a desire to make a connection with whatever is out there, right? Most of us in this room would have well-formed language about the divine. We would call him God the Father. We call him God the Father. We confess in God the Father. But then acknowledging that maybe not all of us are there and that that's okay, you might refer to them as the divine mystery, the higher power, the supreme being, whatever it might be. I think what is absolutely true, though, and scientists are helping us discover, is that innate within human nature, innate within the very being of us, is a longing for the spiritual, to connect with the mystery. Of the universe to know our purpose to feel connection to created things and to hear direction for our lives. No matter what you might call the other, we all desire to be seen, to be connected, to be heard, to have direction. So check out this quote and, uh, Brady. This is that next slide. Uh, I was reading from a spiritual director this week. Um, I'm going to mess his last name up, but David Giuliano, maybe. And he's writing to youth here, but I have I have edited, adapted it a little bit to reflect our purposes, but the, did not change the intent of the quote. People are looking to the church for voice. They are looking for meaningful and solid words to know God. In a small sanctuary, you hear everything. It's okay, KP. I can answer it if you want me to. It's all right. It's all right. You're all welcome here, no matter what distractions are present. You're all welcome here. They are looking for meaningful and solid words to know God, and they are looking for God who is real, tangible, and personal. We can respond to their deep longings by celebrating with them their encounters and understandings of God and above all, by reflecting the thunderous echo chamber of God in which they can hear for themselves that they are loved, free, and beautiful miracles they are, that we all are. I believe that's absolutely true. Others may use different words. They may not use the words that we use inside this sanctuary. They may not say that Jesus has spoken to me. But they long to hear what we have identified as Jesus speaking to us. So wouldn't it be nice if God's signal could somehow connect with us in the same clarity of dusty signal reaching Susie's? Yes, I admit it's that cheesy. That's the only connection. (laughs) Perhaps it was a cheap ploy just to play Stranger Things. I don't know. But I do believe that this is what we long for, that we long for clear communication from God. But though it's easy to speak of our spiritual desire, our desire to connect however, whatever language we might use, it is difficult to determine how we hear from God. So, this is what I want us to explore this morning, because I think that we might all be asking the same question in different ways, so give me grace. This is the way I communicate it, but at heart, I think we might be asking the same question. How? How does God communicate with his children? How do we take notice of God? What what should we be waiting for? Should we be on a hillside in Hawkins, Indiana, next to a... Uh, telecommunications device waiting for God to find the signal, communicates with us through an airwave. Should be waiting for an audible voice, a lightning bolt, an emotional experience. You have an emotional pastor. You see me get emotional all the time. Is that the way that God speaks? Are you expecting to get all the fills because your pastor gets all the fills, because Caleb gets all the fills? Is this the way that God speaks? Is this the only way that God speaks? Does God even talk to us directly? And how might God speak to us today? So this morning, what I want us to turn to is the internal voice. God transmitting his message into our hearts. I want us to explore hearing God internally. So confused uh, signals of God's transmitting message seems to get more and more confusing as social media and culture grows. I wanna pause here and talk about cancel culture. Anybody heard of the term cancel culture? I just awoke to that this, uh, this week and did quite a bit of uh, Googling around. River is testifying, River and I. River, do you know what cancel culture is? Get used to it, because it's the air you're going to breathe, child. Um. (laughs) Yes, I made a connection with River. We're done here. (laughs) I've been longing for people to talk back to me. Thank you, River. Yeah, I have succeeded. (laughs) Man, that's awesome. Uh, (laughs) Now I'm encouraging. (laughs) So... Maybe you're with me. I'll just put my cards out on the table, okay? I'm going to sound like an old man. I had a birthday this week. I am becoming an old man. It's just no one's getting younger, right? So here's my old man comment for the week. I'm growing more and more concerned with culture. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like an old man? sounds like my grandpa. I'm growing more and more concerned with the patterns of communication specifically within our culture. Patterns that we see developing even Now, there's a whole Twitterverse, some of you are on it, and looking at the things that are happening, maybe you can uh, determine, even as I'm speaking, what I am talking about, the trends there on social media. Well, some describe our current situation as cancel culture, or those that rise up in outrage to demand that something or someone be canceled. Or something they did, or something they said, or something that, that finds broad offense in the core of public opinion. And with social media, this has risen to crazy heights. Everybody now kind of on on the same page of what I mean when I say cancel culture. We've all experienced someone does something, whether it's justifiably bad or not, but then you see the internet mobs just kind of boom, and all of a sudden the show is off the air, or the person's out of the race, or that person's been dismissed from the job, um, or or whatever. Um, This is being referred to now as cancel culture. Cancel culture has two kinds of issues. Cancel culture has two kinds of people and two kinds of issues. Good people, bad people. Good issues, bad issues. All right? And there's no room for any other option. There's only two. You and you are found in one of those. You are found like right now, you are found in one of those. You are either a good person or you are a bad person. You either stand for the right issue or you stand for the wrong issue. Now, that is an insurmountable amount of pressure that sits on all of us. I just want to speak a little bit more into cancel culture, but I also want to be honest. We're not free from that inside the sanctuary. You know that, right? It sits upon me right now as I speak. I'm at risk of saying the wrong thing. I'm at risk of you canceling me. That's an insurmountable amount of pressure, you know that, right? I can't prove this. I probably should have done it, like done a research on ATLA or something, and found a study that connects mental health with cancel culture. And if there's not one, maybe I should go get my doctorate and do one. Because I wouldn't be surprised, Jacqueline, if what we found isn't a direct connection between the rise of mental health. And the access to platforms like social media in which we all at once are the jury, the judge, and the executioner. Each one of us individually right now. We come to the opinion and we either cancel you or we love you until you decide that we should cancel you. See, I'm at risk of saying something in the color of red that gets me canceled by those that color themselves in blue. And I'm at the risk of maybe unintentionally saying something in the color of blue that gets me canceled by those in the color of red, not having any intention of all to speak in blue or red. Here's my concern for cancel culture. There's no room for grace. There's no room for kindness. There's no room for forgiveness. There's no room for, I think I may have misheard you. Would you mind to clarify? It's just immediate cancellation. I read a a story this week about a person who got violently drunk on an airline, and she was a lawyer. And did she make a mistake? Yeah, she used a derogatory, that's just not acceptable. She was, uh, used a derogatory slang. Um, she spit in the face of an airline attendant. It was deplorable behavior, honestly. And when, when the plane landed, she was arrested and uh, sentenced for six months in jail. The article made a stoop point. In our former, in our official <laughs> judicial system, that, that should have justified. Six months in jail for making a really, really poor decision. A lot of time to reflect on the character, which allowed that decision to be made. But we don't live in traditional judicial system. We live in a new parallel legal system. That parallel, whatever Twitter says you are, that's who you are. (laughs) And guess what Twitter said of this woman? That she was an absolute disgrace of a human being. And a year later, she killed herself because she couldn't deal with who the world said she was. Now, I'm not making any excuse for her behavior. But what I am saying is surely there's more to her life than one bad mistake. You remember that story? Jesus shows up, there's an adulterous woman, she's standing in the middle, right? Now, what would that story look like if Jesus logged in and he went to Twitter and he found the one person who nobody knows but everyone is accusing, or he found the one politician that no one has actually personally sat down and talked to but have determined that they know exactly her or his character? How would Jesus position himself on Twitter today? if he found himself in the middle of cancel culture. Okay. Now how does this relate to Stranger Things? Hold on, I'll make this magical connection I think. Or I won't and I will have totally failed and you'll have to forgive me, don't cancel me on this one thing, okay? <laughs> um, I believe what Jesus does today is what Jesus did then, what Jesus always does. Jesus does not live in cancel culture or by cancel culture. And what happens when we put heavy expectations upon the Father to communicate in a certain way, we set God up to be canceled. So God has to answer me on why my parents died or I'm not going to believe in God anymore. Oh boy, it's a lot of pressure on God, don't you think? Probably more pressure on yourself than it is on God. It's a lot of pressure on you to hear, (laughs) to receive. If God doesn't answer my prayer, I don't know if I can believe in a God like that. If the church doesn't, oh boy. Anybody in this room ever said that? If the church doesn't stand up on this issue, I'm going to, oh, boy. So the Stranger Things connection, I told you, it's cheesy. It's just about connection. That's it. It's just about telecommunications and the fact that I think that's an absolutely hilarious scene, and I wanted to share it with my friends. But I do believe that I have often wanted God to speak to me in that way right there. I grab the transmitter, or more like I'm Susie, and I'm sitting in my bedroom, and all of a sudden, God says, Mary, Jennifer, Nell, Thank you. I've been waiting to hear what I ought to do with my life. But there was a time in my life, and I'm not prepared to tell you all of this stuff, so we can get coffee this week, and I can tell you the story if you're interested. But there was a time in my life where I really wanted to know if God, if God wanted me to take this job or go to school, one or the other. I could it was after college. I could either take and go on my career, or I could go to graduate school. And I stayed in my room. A lot of you have heard the story before. I skipped the party that was thrown for me. I stayed in my room, and I waited for God to speak to me. And I never heard God's voice. So I wrestled with that for years and years and years. Now surely, I'm not the only one in this room. When we put these types of expectations upon God, he's got to deliver in this moment, on this Sunday. He's got to wow me. He's got to speak today. He's got to tell me in this moment what I need to do or I'm out. Oh, friends, you know, That puts an insurmountable amount of pressure upon you. God does not change. And I'm going to get to a story here that I I can't wait to tell you. But I want to deliver now the good news. God does not have an issue, He is neither blue nor red. He is whatever color's in the middle. Would that be purple? He's purple. There you go. God is neither side A or side B. God is neither Kansas City or Pekin. Those were the two areas I was trying to choose between. God is neither this town or that town. This side or that side. But every time that God shows up, he enters right into the middle and incarnates himself with the very issue and becomes the issue so that he can then exemplify the other option, the third way. And what does Jesus do in that third way? He takes both the blue and both the red and forms it into his heavenly heart, reconciles, redeems, and completely restores it. You see, so what Jesus does in every situation, maybe not as fast as we want God to answer, but in every situation, what God does is he takes on the flesh. He enters the scene. He becomes the message. And he draws us unto himself so that the word that he becomes becomes our word. Which means, if God has not canceled culture... What am I telling you? I'm telling you that God is not unforgiveness. God is not hate. God is not impatience. God is not hurried. God is not judgmental. So, who is God? Well, God is Jesus. He's like Jesus. He speaks like Jesus. He looks like Jesus. He walks and he talks like Jesus. And he finds himself in the middle of a ring of an angry mob. They're all on Twitter. It's crazy. They didn't even have Twitter back then, but this mob, they're on Twitter. It's nuts. And Jesus finds himself right in the middle of it. And they're just calling for this lady to be fired. She said a sexist remark in Me Too culture, and it's just not tolerated. We can't have her. She can't work here. And so they're all around her, and Jesus finds himself right in the middle. And what does he do? He shows another way than blanket forgiveness. Oh, it's okay. You'll get better. He doesn't do that. And he also doesn't fire her. What does he do? He clothes her with himself. Don't you see that? He puts his arm around her and stands beside her. So close to the presence of Jesus, you can't see where she ends and he begins. So what does Jesus do? He rewrites her very being with himself. This is the word to cancel culture. Every single time. This is it. And so friends, if you are here today, and this is a deciding day, and you're wondering, am I in or am I out? I'm telling you, Jesus won't answer that question. Instead, what he'll do is he will fully enter until he has clothed himself with the issue and then clothes you with himself. So what does this mean for hot button topics? I don't want to mention one because I want to acknowledge we live in cancel culture. If I name a hot button issue right now, I will be canceled by somebody in here. So I won't do it. You name a hot button issue. You name it. Let's take that one, the one that first entered your mind. Where does God find himself in this? Well, find a person. Find a person that exemplifies that hot button issue. Where does God find himself with that person right now as we speak? Fully embracing that person. Not embracing the things that you find immoral. Not embracing the things that you find disgusting. No, I'm talking about the human being. I'm talking about that, that lawyer on that flight. Surely her whole life does not amass through the fact that she got drunk once and said a bunch of dumb stuff once. Surely she is known for far more than that. So where does God find himself in the hot button issue? He finds himself with humanity, breath to breath, mouth to mouth, nose to nose, breathing his life into that person's life. So Moses, if you haven't noticed I've gone off notes and I have to try to get myself back on track. So Moses. So Moses is leading the Israelites and he goes to Mount Sinai. And did you recognize all the different senses in that passage? Did you hear that? I just wanna go back. If you have your phones with you or whatever you use to read scripture, go to Exodus 19. I just, I, I want to list for you. They say, they say that memory is formed when more than one sense is involved. You get that? So you got the five senses, right? When more than one of those senses are involved, memory is formed. That's probably why we all forget me included the sermon on Sundays. Because there's only one sense involved here. It also maybe makes sense of other worship traditions like higher church traditions, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, who use incense and stuff in their worship service. They're using multiple senses, right? So either way, neither here nor there. Senses form memory, not just one sense, multiple senses. So Thanksgiving, when you're eating, tasting, hearing, smelling, no wonder we remember Thanksgiving and Christmas. We got all sorts of senses involved there. So listen here. So there's thunder that ward. There's lightning that flashed. There's a dense cloud that descended upon the mountain. Can you imagine? Can you see that? There's a long, loud blast from a ram's horn. Can you hear it? Mount Sinai looked like a brick oven just fuming with smoke. Can you smell it? I think of wood-fired pizza. Mm. Yeah, you can smell that now. Mm. The mountain shook. The people trembled. Can you see it? The ram's horn grew louder and louder. Are you hearing it? Louder and louder. And then Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply with a voice. What is so weird about this passage? Because the Hebrew is written in such a way that it says God answered with a voice. Now, if I was just talking to Darren here, this is Darren, she's a lovely friend. If I was talking with just Darren here, and I said, yeah, I said to Darren, and then Darren replied with a voice. Doesn't that sound weird? If I was texting with Jenny, and I said, yeah, so I, I shot Jenny a text, and she replied with her thumbs. Doesn't that sound weird? So listen to this passage again. So Moses spoke to God, and God answered him with a voice. Well, whose voice, they ask? I read a commentator this week. It was fascinating to me. I would have never thought to ask whose voice from that. I would have just read that and kept going on. But he said, whose voice? And then he brought up one of his favorite movies, probably because he just wanted to share a movie with me in his writing, and it was Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments. Anybody seen that? Okay, for all of you that are like me and have never seen it, there's a movie out there. There's an actor. His name's Charlton Heston. He plays Moses. They filmed the Ten Commandments on the same Mount Sinai, on the exact same mountain. One night in filming, Charlton takes a director and someone from a monastery. I forget who. I'll have to cite the story later. Someone from a monastery, the director, Charlton Heston. They go from Mount Sinai. They're up on Mount Sinai. They're filming the movie on the mountain of God. And then they come down, and they're having dinner. (laughs) And I think the guy from the the monastery asks Charlton, so did you hear God? You were on the mountain of God. Know what Charlton Heston says? Band, you can come, by the way. This will keep me accountable. Charlton Heston says, well, I I don't think I've heard God. I'm not sure God spoke to me. He didn't cancel out God. He just said, I'm not sure I heard God. But I've But I did find Moses. And then if you've seen the movie, you know that the voice of God is actually Charlton Heston's voice. So Moses, the one who speaks for God and the one who hears God, is using the same exact voice, the same voice. It's Moses' voice. Charlton Heston says, I did not find God on that mountain. But I think I found Moses and I think Moses' voice ought to be the one that speaks for God. When God speaks, same voice. So this writer goes on to connect the transmission of God's voice through a filter. And what does God choose every time as a filter for his voice? Flesh. Every single time. So when God speaks... Who does God speak through? Flesh. Every single time. Whew. God embodies. <laughs> so that when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and says, God spoke. What if it was really Moses spending all that time with God entering like the incarnation into his heart. The radio signal not coming to another radio that Moses holds up waiting to hear God's transmitted voice from the outside. But instead, God loves Moses so much that he enters into the core of who Moses is, the very depth of his being, and God begins to speak to Moses from within. So that every word that Moses speaks has now over time been transformed into the very character and heart of God. Whether this happens or not, who knows? We can ask God together in heaven, but it does. That thing exactly happens in the person of Jesus Christ. That is exactly what happens in Jesus. So God speaks a word. The word becomes flesh. The whole word dwells in the neighborhood until the Word becomes the neighborhood. And then the neighborhood goes to the cross in which the neighborhood then takes side A and side B and brings it into himself until it's fully reconciled and looks just like God. Goes down to hell with that division. Locks it up in the underneath. And then ascends through resurrection, fully restored to the right side of the Father where He has cleansed this horrible culture that cancels out each other. (sighs) Does God speak? Yes, but you're going to have to repent. You're probably going to have to lay down the red color. Probably going to have to lay down the blue color. And I'm just speaking of Patriots and Chiefs. I don't know what you thought I was speaking of. but <laughs> You may just have to open your heart for God to speak the one way God speaks right at the core of who you are. So how are we going to notice God? I don't think we have to sit by the radio any longer. I don't think you have to sit by the wall any longer and wait for God just to throw it up there. I think you're going to have to clothe yourselves with patience and with a whole lot of trust and to listen for God, develop God's love for you from inside. That's hard for us because we live in a culture that is either telling us you're all bad or you're all good. Well, I'm telling you, forget that. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You're God's child. I don't care what you did. I really don't. I don't care. I do not care. I don't care what you've done. God loves you. God is speaking to you. He's not waiting for you to get it right or he's going to cancel you. (laughs) God doesn't cancel you. Don't you see that thing? That right there is the ultimate sign of inclusion because he loves you. He includes you and he's speaking to you. So what are we supposed to do with that? What direction, pastor, would you give me for this week? I've got five of them. Have you opened your heart for God to reveal his action and movement to you? I'm not asking if you already know what God wants from you. I'm asking if you have released that certainty. Have you released it? Everything. Have you released everything you know about God and opened your heart to allow God to speak to you fresh today? You're not all wrong probably not all right either (laughs) so have you released it is there anything that you need to repent from anything that you need to confess is there anything that god is asking you to surrender this week focus on this ask god to reveal the third way in situations where you only see two options Ask God to go before you and to show you what he sees in those situations that trouble you and that bother you. Every one of you this week, every one of you today will have this opportunity. Either you're in a position where you make decisions or you're in a position where people make decisions for you. Either way, we often feel that there's only two options. Our boss is either all good or he's all bad or the people that work for us are either all good or they're all bad. I don't think any of you live your life that way every day. I just think we have opportunity to live that way if we choose to do so. And I'm challenging you. This week when that opportunity comes, maybe ask God to help you and to show you what He sees in those situations that trouble you and bother you. This week... Maybe ask God to speak to you like he spoke to Moses, where he thunders his reply. And some wonder if God doesn't thunder his reply internally and speak to Moses from the inside. Maybe he doesn't, but maybe he does. Either way, that is how God speaks through the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It is how God enters in Jesus. Ask God to speak to you in that way today. As we sing this song, it's a great time for us to reflect. Do we need to move closer to God? Because God is moving closer to you. Stand and let us worship together.